There it is, okay? So uh, I think we've got a slide that's got the uh, minor prophets on there. We're going to say them together just like we have been. That way it can help you to understand and know where they are in the Bible, okay? So we'll begin with Hosea. Let's say them together. Ready? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Odiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are uh, your 12 best friends, I'm pretty sure, so you probably knew all their names just well, all right? Uh, Those are the minor prophets. Now, as we've mentioned before, they cover a period of about 400 years of history, uh, written by 12 different men. Uh, They they deal with different things going on in the nations of Israel, uh, the Kingdom of Israel, dealing with the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. We've walked through a number of them already, and today we find our way to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Habakkuk was written around 610 to 605 BC. That was when it was composed. And meaning he prophesied around the same time as Jeremiah, which is one of the major prophets, one of the big books. Uh, Nahum which we covered last time, and Zephaniah, who we'll cover next week, all right? As we mentioned last time, when we dove into to Nahum, the northern kingdom of Israel had already been destroyed. They'd already been conquered by the nation of Assyria around 720 B.C., so a little over 100 years before. So Habakkuk was writing his letter to the southern kingdom of Judah. The book of Habakkuk, if you're taking notes and want to know how things are divided up, uh, it's, it's divided up into two primary parts, all right? Make it real simple for you. Chapters 1 and 2 are a dialogue, a conversation between uh, Habakkuk and God. And chapter number 3 is a song from, uh, from Habakkuk to God. All right, so one and two, conversation between Habakkuk and God, and then chapter number three is a song that Habakkuk writes to God. And we'll talk about that as we go through the story this morning. He begins his writing in verse number one by describing what he was about to say was going to be a burden. In verse number one, it says, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. He says, what I'm about to share with you, he says, it's it's a burden. Now, there are other minor prophets that started out their letters this way. In fact, Nahum was one of them that that began his letter by saying, hey, I've got a burden that I want to communicate to you. And uh, uh, many of the the prophets will will say it, uh, you know, describe it as the word of the Lord that came to them. But here, when Habakkuk says, I've got a burden that I'm going to declare, he meant exactly what that that word meant. He said, this is something that I am burdened by. This is something that I'm heavy about. This is something that is consuming my thoughts, my life, my mind. And in verse number 2, he begins with a prayer to the Lord. Habakkuk says this, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. There are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slapped. Judgment that doth never go forth. For the wicked that compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. The Bible tells us in, in about 609 B.C., King Josiah was the king of, of the nation of Je- Judah, but in 609 he was killed. Now, Josiah was one of the godly kings of Israel. In fact, we read about him in the book of Second Chronicles, and, and, and when King Josiah came on the 
scene, it was an interesting one because he began to reign when he was eight years old. My son Jace is eight years old. Can you imagine? I mean, like, what the hell? He'd been like, all right, my first decree is candy for everyone at all times. I mean, like, that, that would be the way that, that it would have been. But, but Josiah became the king whenever he was eight years old. And when he got a little bit older, the Bible tells us that, that they were digging around and doing some excavating. And one of the guys found something. He found a scroll. It was a scroll of the Old Testament law of Moses. And he brought it to, to Josiah, and when he brought it to Josiah, he showed Josiah, and he said, listen, he said, this is something, this is from God, and he says, it's been forgotten. When Josiah read it, his heart was broken, because he realized that his nation, the nation of Judah, had been living in such a way that it had broken the, the commands of God, it had broken the law of God, it had went against the promises and the covenant of God. And that stirred Josiah. In fact, in Second Chronicles chapter number 34, in verse 33, the Bible says, And Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertain to the children of Israel, and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God, and all his days they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. The Bible tells us Josiah, he, 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 he made things right. He, he went around and they destroyed the, the, the altars that were set up to pagan gods and, and he got rid of all the, the wicked temples and the wickedness that was taking place in them. He, he got rid of all of it. He got things right with God, turned this nation back to the Lord. That's what Josiah did. But when Josiah died in battle... Unfortunately, his sons and his grandson didn't have the same heart that he did. And it what didn't take long for this nation of Judah, the nation of Israel, to turn back and turn to their old ways of idol worship and wickedness. And it's in this time, in this day, whenever they were involved in the wickedness and in the idolatry, in the, in the adultery against the Lord, it was during this time that Habakkuk wrote those first Four verses. It's interesting because what Habakkuk prays there, it's a prayer that he, that he brings to God. He says, Lord, I'm, I'm crying out unto you, but he says, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? What's interesting is, is Habakkuk, whenever he comes to God and he's begging God, he wasn't begging God for God's mercy. He wasn't begging God for his long suffering towards Judah. No, Habakkuk's prayer was a prayer of frustration. He was frustrated. Habakkuk was looking around and he was seeing Israel that was, that was rebelling against God, that was turned against God, that was going after wickedness and evil, and, and had turned their back on the Lord. And Habakkuk looked at God and said, God, why aren't you judging them? God, they've broken the covenant. You said that, that whenever they, they bless you, that you'd bless them. But when they cursed you, you would curse them. He said, God, why aren't you judging them? Why is your judgment slack? Why aren't you bringing down judgment upon the nation of Israel, upon Judah? God, why are you letting evil win? Why aren't you stepping in and destroying the wicked? God, why aren't you doing what I thought you would do? You ever been there before? Where you ask God, why? why? Why aren't you doing what I thought you would? 
God, why are you letting wickedness thrive in our nation? (laughs) Why are you letting wicked leaders rise to power? God, why why are you letting the the wickedness win over, it seems like, in the courtrooms and, and, and in the school board meetings? and in their colleges and institutions. God, why are you letting these things happen? Maybe it's something that's more personal. God, why aren't you healing my loved one? Why aren't you taking care of my problem? God, I've stayed faithful to you. I've remained uh, 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 truthful to you. God, I've kept things right with you. And it seems like I'm facing defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. And the wicked is always winning. Why, God? And that's exactly where Habakkuk found himself. God, why? Why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you answering my prayer to judge Israel my way? In the rest of this book, we find God's answer and Habakkuk's response to his prayer. Why? Why, God? As we mentioned in chapters 1 and 2, we have this conversation back and forth between uh, Habakkuk and God. And it's kind of an interesting conversation. I was sharing this morning in our class that, that I think Habakkuk may be one of my favorite because I think it's one of the most real of the minor prophets. I mean, it's just raw, some of the things that he said. And, and I think Lon uh, spoke up and said, well, you said the same thing last time about the last book that you were in. I said, Thanks a lot, Lon. You know? But uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the way it is. I mean, whatever book you're in, that's your favorite. But I really... I, it's just, it's real, it's raw. And we're going to see that this morning. You see, what Habakkuk learned, first of all, he learned that God's plan isn't our plan. Look, look down at verse number 5. The Bible says this. He says, uh, Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard wonder marvelously. This is God speaking back to Habakkuk. He's answering him. He says, For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe. Though it be told you. <laughs> the Bible tells us that, that God comes to, to, to Habakkuk and says this. He says, Habakkuk, I'm about to do something that you are not going to believe. God does that a lot of times. I mean, like in, in our life, it's like, God, I really want to. And then God does something else. And we're like, I didn't think that was going to happen that way. And, and that's exactly what, what happens. He comes to Habakkuk and he sets him up and he says, Habakkuk, I'm going to let you in on a secret. I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind. You're not going to believe it, Habakkuk. And he goes on and he tells him exactly what he's going to do. He says this, For lo, I, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling place that, is not, that are not theirs. Here, here's what he told them. He said, I am going to raise up a people, the Chaldeans, or we might better know them as the Babylonians, as a judgment Against Israel. Do you know the way God does things isn't the way that we do things? Because His thoughts aren't our thoughts. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, saith the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your 
thoughts. That's what He does. That's what who God is. His thoughts, His ways are higher than our ways. And He looks at Habakkuk and He says, Habakkuk, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. And He says, Habakkuk, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up this wicked nation of the Chaldeans as judgment. As judgment against Israel. Against Judah. Listen, this was a wicked and an evil country. In fact, God describes them in verse number 7 by saying that they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. He says, listen, you're going to see exactly who they are. They're terrible. They're wicked. He says, you think that Israel's been living in wickedness. Just wait until the Chaldeans, the Babylonians come along. You know, we get a little bit of insight into exactly who the Babylonians were. From another prophet that we find in the scripture, another guy who actually lived through what would take place when the Babylonians would come to power. It's, it's a guy, you may know him, his name was Daniel. And he wrote a book called Daniel. And he described in that book exactly what the Chaldeans, the Babylonians did whenever they took over, whenever they conquered Israel. In chapter number 1 of Daniel, verse number 2, it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Oh, that, speaking of Babylon, okay? With the part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, the house of his God, he, he, he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. So the first thing they did whenever they would conquer a land is they would go into the holy temples of that people. So they would go into Israel once they conquered Israel, Judah's place. They went into the temple of Judah and they took all of the, the, the beautiful artifacts that were in that temple. They, they took the candlesticks and they took the altar and they, they took all those things and they pulled them out of that temple and they took them back to their land and they put them in their temple. It was a sign that that, that God isn't as powerful as our God. Our, our false God that we serve. What's your God going to do? Your God is going to bow to our God. It was humiliating. That was the first thing that they would do. And then it goes on, verse number 3, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel in the king's seeds, and the princes, children of whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability to, in them to stand in the king's palace, whom they might teach and learn uh, the, the learning and the tongues of the Chaldeans. You see, the second thing that they would do is they would take the brightest young men from that country, and the Bible tells us that they would take them and they would put them under the authority of the, the eunuchs. Now, I'm not going to get into too much description here because I don't want to, uh, I know we got the, the crowd that we have, but basically what they would do is they would strip these young men of their manhood. It was used for a couple of different purposes. It was used for humiliation and it was used for population control to control them. They would take the brightest, the, the, the best of that country, and they would take them, they'd strip them of their identity. In fact, they would try to, they would force upon them a new language that they did not know, a language that they did not recognize. They were no longer allowed to speak in their native tongue. Now they had to speak the, the language of this foreign country. And then they took their very identity, they changed their names. 
We know the Bible talks about how, how the, the three Hebrew boys, Daniel, they were all given new names that were after the gods of the country of Babylon. Everything in their life was stripped away by this wicked and evil country. Everything was destroyed. Now listen, this isn't the primary point of the message today. But if some of this doesn't sound familiar, I think you have your head in the sand. Yeah, it's, it's just the truth. We live in a world that's trying to confuse our young people and strip them of their God-given gender and identity. Their identity is being questioned, being redefined, changing their language, redefining words, adding new terminology that we've never had before. Recently, I was studying this. Kids are so confused today that one in four high school students identify as LGBTQ+. One in four. 25%. Do you know they're putting litter boxes in the bathrooms in schools because some kids want to identify as cats? No, we called that whenever I was. Weird, okay? But our world's redefining things. They're calling what is, what is strange, what is not, not normal. They're, they're making it normal. They're changing things. And can I tell you this? It's not new. It's not new. Can I remind you in 1 Corinthians 14.33, the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace in all the churches of the saints. You know, I think it's time that the church stops cowering in a corner and wake up to the reality that this world is anti-Christ, it's anti-Christian. It doesn't mean that we should take up arms against them necessarily, but listen, we should choose to stop being the silent majority. I think one of the reasons that we're in the condition that we are is because the majority has been silent. That we've stood back while the world has taken captive our young people has taken captive our schools and has taken captive all the institutions and has taught all this garbage and brought all this garbage in that's the same thing that was taking place back in Daniel's day and it's destroying our nation it's destroying our world and it's time some Christians would determine that they're going to stand and choose to take stand and listen, that's why weekends like last weekend were so important. That's why it was so, so vital that, that you were here, that you go back and you listen to it. Because listen, I know this, the majority of Christians, the reason they don't take a stand is because they don't know why they stand where they stand. They don't know how to defend what they believe. They don't know what this book says because they don't take the time to make it a priority to learn what it says. And listen, friend, you say, Kyle, you're getting a little angry. That's because, listen, friend, there should be some righteous indignation whenever the devil is taking hold of our kids and destroying our world, destroying our nation, because Christians don't have time to learn what the Bible says. I'm so tired of us just, just sitting and just flippantly just going through day after day and just not making a point of saying, what, I'm going to learn what God's Word says so that I can take a stand against this world and the demons that are taking over it. It's no different than it was in Daniel's day. It's sad. The Christians have become so, so, so complacent so complacent and so apathetic to what's going on in the world around us. Listen, 
It's time that the church decided that we're done with that. We're going to take a stand for God. To do what Romans 13, 11 says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. And I hope that some Christians will wake up to what's going on in the world around us. Start taking a stand for something. Instead of sitting back and watching our kids be captivated and indoctrinated by the world. God told Habakkuk, Israel has chosen to indulge themselves in sin. So I'm going to allow judgment to come upon them by a nation whose wickedness exceeds their own. Why do you think we are in the condition that we are today? Christians have sat back in complacency and apathy and have not done anything. And God says, okay, here's a form of judgment. You want your wickedness? Here you go. You don't just get a little bit of it. You get the whole dump truck load. You get it all. You want your, your, your trans, trans stuff and your, and your homophobic stuff and all this, you know, all the, the, the things that are going, you want all that? Okay, here you go. And the Christians sit back and say, man, how did we get here? Now listen, I'm not trying to be mean to anybody because people are going through things and I'm just going to tell you, people are going through the things that they're going through and struggling with the things that they're going through because nobody stood up and told them that listen, the Bible says something different and listen, your life is valuable and God created you with a purpose and God created you individually and God gave you a specific calling in your life and God didn't make a mistake with the way that He made you and you're precious to God and you have a purpose and your life is valuable. The suicidality rate is incredibly high when it comes to this group because nobody's ever told them that their life is valuable. And God cares about them and God loves them. It's because Christians sit by and they just look, point the finger, oh, I just can't believe that's happening. I can't believe all this is going on. I just can't believe all this different stuff. But do you even know what the Bible says about it? No, most Christians don't. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. God came to Habakkuk and said, Habakkuk, they want their wickedness. They want their, we- their evil way. He says, Habakkuk, you want judgment. You're not going to believe what's coming. I'm not just going to judge them. I'm going to bring a nation that's even more wicked than them to come in and destroy them, to uproot them, to turn everything upside down. Now, here's what's interesting. Habakkuk didn't like that. <laughs> he didn't like God's plan. Look at verse number 12. He says this, Art thou not from everlasting, O God, mine holy one? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst thou not look on the iniquity? Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked houreth the man that is more righteous than he? You know, you know what he's getting at here? He, he looks and he says, how can you let someone that's even more wicked than us have victory over us? See, Habakkuk wanted God to stop Judah's wickedness. Habakkuk wanted God to change the direction of his nation. Habakkuk wanted God to turn his nation back to God. But Habakkuk wanted it to happen his way. He wanted God to answer his prayer, but he wanted God to answer it the way that he approved of. How could God use this wicked nation to judge the wickedness of his nation? He didn't like God's plan. 
God, how are you going to let that happen? God, look, wait a second. The, I, I, listen, I, I know that I said that I wanted you to judge our nation, but not that way. That's not what I had in mind, okay? I just wanted you to make, I just wanted you to turn people's heart back to you and just make them love you again. That's what I wanted. I didn't want that. Have you ever struggled with God's plan? You ever been aware of it was? God, you know, I know that I prayed that, but that's not what I meant. <laughs> it's, not, it's not how I wanted things to go. Maybe you've prayed for something and without even realizing it, God's answering. It isn't the way you wanted it to be answered. Maybe in your life you don't like the way something happened or you're struggling with the cards that you've been dealt in your life and you just can't see how something that you perceive to be so bad could use to be accomplished something good. I mean, can God do something we perceive as bad for his glory and for our good? Well, you can ask Joseph about that. I mean, I don't think Joseph probably thought it was good when he was hated by his brothers. I don't think he probably thought, you know what, this is a good thing, when he was sitting at the bottom of a pit looking up at his brothers. And they're like, should we kill him? I don't know. And he's like, you know what? This is great. This is just God's will being accomplished in my life. I don't think that's probably what was going through his mind. He didn't think probably that was good when he was sold into slavery. Taken to a foreign land. Again, in a place where he didn't know their language, their culture. He didn't, I mean, they're foreign gods. He didn't know any of it. He didn't think it was good whenever he was sold into Potiphar's house, lied about, and then thrown into prison. He probably didn't think it was good when he was forgotten about while he was in that prison. He had to stay there longer than what he thought he was going to have to stay there. But on that day when Joseph saw his brothers kneel before him, he was reminded that while we may not understand God's plan, we may not approve of the way that it's happening at that time, God's plan is always what's best. And like Habakkuk, you may not be able to see how God's plan is going to work out. But God's plan is always best. His way is always right. So you got, got Habakkuk comes to God. God, will you judge our nation? God says, okay, I'm going to bring judgment. And, I, and Habakkuk goes, wait a second, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like the way that this is going. And so then we come to chapter number two. And God gives a glimpse behind the curtain. I love verse number one, okay? This is so great. I mean, this is why it's just so real, okay? Habakkuk says in verse number one, I will stand upon my watch, set me upon the tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me, what he shall answer me when I am reproved. I don't know how much time went between chapter number one and chapter number two, but something in that period of time passed by. And Habakkuk, you know, while he's sitting there, he probably sitting there and he got to thinking, he's like, you know what? That probably wasn't the best mood to tell, move to tell God that I don't like what he's doing. I'm, I'm a prophet. And he told me, I said, God, I want you to do this. God said, okay, I'm going to do this. And I said, God, I don't want you to do that. And that probably wasn't the best move. That's, that's what he's saying here. He says, listen, he says, I'm going to, okay. So he said, I'm, gonna, I'm like a watchman on the watchtower. A watchman is there watching for danger to come, for, for, for an enemy to, to come. He says, I'm going I'm to watch because God said he's going to destroy. And he said, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait. To see how I'm reproved. He said, God's going to, he's probably going to give me a spanking because of the way that I acted. That's, that's what he's saying there. I mean, it's just real. That's just, that's really what he's saying there. 
And then what's amazing is God doesn't reprove Habakkuk. God doesn't come in and say, you know what, you big dummy, you're right. You know, he doesn't. No. In fact, he doesn't address Habakkuk's response to his plan at all. Instead, God in his graciousness and mercy says, Habakkuk, I I understand where you're coming from. You can't comprehend what I'm doing. So Habakkuk, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to pull back the veil a little bit. And I want you to see a little bit more about what's going on. And that's what he does in chapter number two. God pulls back the veil. Rather than scolding and chastening for, for Habakkuk struggling to accept God's plan, God instead comforts him. In verse number four, it's such a, one of the most familiar verses, phrases found in the Bible. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is, is not upright in him. But listen, but the just shall live by his faith. Th- this phrase that is repeated over and over again in the New Testament, scattered throughout it in the writings of the Apostle Paul in Romans and Galatians and in Hebrews, the just shall live by his faith, he says. God was telling Habakkuk, listen, I know who the wicked are. And Habakkuk, I know who the righteous are. See, Habakkuk's frustrations were drawn along national lines. People of Israel, the Chaldeans, the good, the bad. And God steps in and says, you know what, Habakkuk? I know who the righteous are on both sides. And I know who the wicked are as well. And the just... Those that are faithful, he says, I know who they are. I'll take care of them. Just to ease the mind of Habakkuk about God being unfair in his dealings of judgment, God pulls back the veil to reveal that in his time, he would bring judgment upon Babylon as well. He says, listen, Habakkuk, he said, uh, you, you think that I'm just doing this to Israel? He said, listen, Habakkuk, I'm going to deal with Babylon too. Don't think that I'm letting these guys get away with, with their wickedness and, and, and judging Israel. He said, no, no, no. He said, listen, I, I am fair in my judgment. I know who the wicked are. I know who the faithful are. Habakkuk, I've got things under control. You don't have to worry about it. I know what I'm doing here. And he says, just so we're clear about things, five times in chapter number two, he pronounces judgment upon Babylon because of their various actions where he says, woe unto them. In verse number six, God saw their extortion that they were doing upon the people that they would would capture and would enslave. God saw their cheating of others in verse number nine. God saw their murder of innocent lives in chapter verse number 12. God saw their use of alcohol to manipulate and commit sexual wickedness in verse number 15. And God saw their idol worship in verse number 19. The wickedness of the enemies of Judah had not escaped the eyes of the Lord. You know what's so wonderful about this? God could have looked at Habakkuk and said, you know what, Habakkuk, that second chapter could have been real short. Habakkuk could have came and said, Lord, I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch for the judgment that you say is coming and wait for you to reprove me. God could have came in and said, you know what, you're a big dummy, smacked him upside the head. That would have been the end of chapter number two. Oh, he could have done that. 
But God was so good that he said, Habakkuk, I want you to see the big picture here. I want you to understand. I've got a plan. I'm in control. And I know who my people are. Habakkuk, don't worry about it. It's almost as if God is answering Habakkuk's question. Why, God? Why are you doing what you're doing? God says, Habakkuk, so much bigger than you thought. You know, chapter number three is, is an interesting chapter. It's a song from Habakkuk to the Lord. After they've had this conversation, this back and forth between each other, back and forth, back and forth, God, why don't you judge them? I'm going to judge them. God, I don't want you to judge that way. <laughs> oh no, God's going to beat me up. Okay, no, listen, Habakkuk, I've got a plan. I know what I'm doing, okay? I've got everything under control. I know who my people are. The just will live by their faith. Habakkuk comes to chapter number three. And he, he, he writes this song, and this is so cool, because this, this song is a pen for us to read, but can I tell you who it, was, who it was written to? It wasn't written necessarily for us. It was written in, as, as Habakkuk's response to God. His response to the Lord. He comes to the end of this book, and he finishes it by writing this song. Verse number one says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shiganoth. We don't know what type of instrument that is, but it's an instrument. That's what he's saying there. He says, listen, this, this, this last chapter, <clears throat> he says it's a song. It's like, it's like one of the psalms. Like one that David wrote. He said, this is, this is what it's supposed to be saying. We're supposed to play this instrument, whatever type of instrument, we're supposed to play this instrument. And, and, and you're supposed to sing this Song to the Lord. I'm singing this to the Lord. And we come to verse number two. It's a very familiar verse. Maybe the most familiar in Habakkuk. O Lord, verse number two. O Lord, I've heard thy speech. Was afraid. O Lord, revive midst of the years. The midst of the years make known in wrath. Remember mercy. <clears throat> you know what that verse is? That's a confession. It's a confession to the Lord. He says, I heard thy speech, and I was afraid. He tells us why he responded the way that he did. Why he came back at God. No, God, that's not the way that I want you to do it. That's not how I wanted things to happen. He says, God, when I heard what you were going to do, I was terrified. I was afraid. I was scared. And in my fear, I fell back into a and so, God, I spoke out in a way that I shouldn't have. God, I'm sorry. I heard your speech and I was afraid. God's plan was so outside of what I expected. I didn't know how to respond. I was afraid. Do you know that you can be in the middle of God's plan and it still be scary? You can be right smack dab in the middle of God's will. Find yourself afraid. Because the situations and circumstances and things like that are not what you expected. That God's doing something that's outside of your control, outside of what you thought, and it's still God's within God's parameters, still within God's will, but it's not what you expected, it's not what you were hoping for. And now you're sitting there and you're going, God, I'm scared. 
Now, listen, I know we live in Montana. Guys, don't, we don't say that, okay? I mean, like, Habakkuk was clearly not a Montanan, okay? Because Montanans do not admit that they're scared of anything, okay? I mean, like, it's just the way that it is out here. Uh, I remember when we first came out to Montana, when I, before Tress and I were married, I went over with her with her dad. We went. We were talking to some guys, and uh, they they had a, a horse. And I was like, "Oh, they're going to go for a horse ride." And they brought it out into the, the arena. And the guy cl- jumped on it, and that horse. I mean, that bronc started bucking like crazy, and uh, they were practicing for bronc riding. And I'm like, man, they do things different out here than they do in Indiana. I mean, like in all my life, I never saw somebody get on a horse and intentionally make it buck like that. That was not normal to me. I mean, that was crazy. People in Montana are different. But whether we admit it or not, there's still times where in our heart we say, God, I'm afraid. And oftentimes in our fear, we question God's goodness. We question God's plan. God, what are you doing? In fact, we say things like, this isn't how I thought it was going to be. This isn't what I expected. This isn't what I prayed for. <laughs> All right, Habakkuk. But we have a loving God that instead of coming alongside us, and <laughs> He gives us the book of Habakkuk where He shows us, listen, in those times, I'm still in control. You see, 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In Psalm 56, verse number 3, we teach this to our kids. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. See, when fears of uncertainty come into our life, we can choose to either run from God or turn to Him. You can ask God, why are you doing this to me? Or we can choose to see, God, you're doing this for me. And when we choose that, we choose, instead of questioning, we choose to trust. He goes on to say something that's a great lesson to all of us. He he goes on to that verse, O Lord, I've heard thy speech. I was afraid... O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known and wrath remember mercy. What Habakkuk is saying in this verse is, Lord, bring back the way things used to be when we were right with you. He came to that place and he said, God, I know that I didn't respond right. I know that because of my response, things, they're probably not what they ought to be. You know what? Israel's not where they should be. They're broken. This nation's broken. But he he said, God, will you bring us back to where we were when we were right with you? Take us back to that place. God, revive your works in the midst of these years. God, the things that you did when you showed yourself so real. God, bring those back again. I want to see it again. 
Through the rest of the chapter, you know what he does? Over and over again, he says, Lord, I remember from, from what I've read, God, about when you did this miracle, God, whenever you delivered them out of Egypt, and, and God, when you, when you parted the Red Seas, and, and God, whenever you did these miracles over and over and over again, then when you showed yourself real, and when Israel said, oh, you are the Lord, our God, and he said, that God, will you do it again? Will you do it again? In my life, in the life of my nation, God, will you do it? Again, and then he wraps it up in verses 18 and 19. Yet, God, no matter what, where we're at, what we're going through, even in the midst of the judgment that you've said is coming, and I didn't want it, but God, now I trust you in this. He says, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. He said it's going to be like a deer upon the mountains, Lord. He says He will make me to walk upon mine high places. He said I'm going to be sure-footed. I'm going to be strong in those times. Why? Because I'm depending on You and what You are doing. And God, I trust You in it, even though I don't understand it, even though it doesn't make sense to me, even though I see everything that's coming, Lord. I don't get it, but God, I'm going to trust You anyway. And God, I'm going to sing it as a song to You. In this final chapter, Habakkuk writes this song in which he's comforted by the perfect plan of God. He answers his own question, why God? By pointing to God's past deliverances and trusting in God's plan going forward. You know the name Habakkuk? It means one who embraces Now listen, it may be telling us about Habakkuk. Again, he wasn't a Montana, so maybe, maybe he was one that just hugged everybody. I don't know. But oftentimes those minor prophets, they tell us something about God. And it, it very likely could be that what his name meant was one who embraces me. When I don't understand what's happening, what's going on. God holds me. God, God's got me. He's, he's in control. And he says when, when he responded to God, push, uh, responded by pushing back against God's plan, he found a Savior who rather than condemn him, instead embraced him and gave him a song of comfort. Friend, do you have a song today? Do you have a song today? Because many times we're, we're, we're Habakkuk of chapter number two or chapter number one at the very end where we're going, God, I don't like this. This isn't what I thought. This isn't how I planned. <laughs> And God says, come here, I got this, I've got you, I'm still in control. Kyle, everything's falling apart, I mean look at the world around us, I mean everything, I mean you even talked it about earlier, I mean it's just like the days of Daniel and everything's, I mean it's just, it's going crazy and I don't know what to do and I'm so scared. God's got you. 
And even though we think things are out of control, understand this, it's your control that it's out of. Not His. When we ask that question, why God? People respond different ways when they're afraid. Some get angry. Some get quiet. Some are paralyzed by insecurity. But we can learn from the life of Habakkuk and his story that you can trust God's plan. It may not be the way you expected. Things may not turn out the way that you'd hoped. God may be working through unexpected circumstances, but you can trust Him through it. God may not pull back the curtain like He did for Habakkuk, but you can be sure God works all things together for good and for His glory. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, verse 12 tells us, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. He says right now we can't see it. But one day we're standing face to face with our Savior. Then it'll all make sense. Then we'll understand. God, you are good. And God, you were good. And you always have been good. And I can trust you. Maybe this morning you just need to pray and say, God, will you bring me back to that place where I was in a right standing and relationship with you? God, I've been afraid. I've responded in a way that that I shouldn't have. God, will you revive your works in the midst of the year of my life? I want to be right with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want things to be right. God, things are scary, but I trust you. And God says, yeah, I've got you. I hope you'll feel his grace this morning. See, the hope that you find in Christ and choose to trust him. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you for the word of God this morning. Thank you for the book of Habakkuk. And Lord, you know that I needed this. I needed your word. I needed the truths that we find in it. And I pray, Lord, for some that are in this room that are asking that question, why, God? Why is this happening? Or, God, why are, why are things the way that they are? Or, God, why don't you do something about it? God, when we're asking that question, why, God, I pray that there be some in this room today that would instead ask why, that they turn to God and say, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you. I'm still scared, but I'm choosing to trust you. And I pray, God, they'd sense your loving embrace all around them this morning. Know that you've got them, that you love them, and you're going to do what's best. I pray for others, God, that they would choose today. Maybe their heart was stirred as we were talking about taking a stand. I pray there'd be some that would choose today to stop being complacent, apathetic, just going through the motions, stuck in a rut. God, wake them up this morning. I pray, God, we get serious about serving you. Lord, whether it's a teenager or an adult or the oldest person in this room, I pray, God, we get serious about it. God, truly see you do something that we'll stand back and say, wow, I can't believe it. 
Help us to trust you. Heads about an ice closed. Let's stand together. The music's going to play. Let's respond to the Lord this morning. Maybe you want to come to him.